Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Tasty Tidbits Podcast. Get ready to receive rich, well-seasoned, and tasteful tidbits to transform your life. Each week, Dr. Tiffany comes to you with inspirational encouragement and thought-provoking interviews to help you revolutionize your walk with God. Are you hungry for more of His presence? Then get ready. And now, your host, pastor, author, and motivational speaker, Dr. Tiffany Watkins. Hello, everyone, and welcome again to Tasty Tidbits. I am your host, Dr. Tiffany Watkins. I'm excited to have you here listening in on another episode today. And I'm so honored and excited to have our special guest today, Amanda Blackwood, with us on today, because I know that she's going to talk to us about something that is very um, prevalent in the U.S. and around the world today. And so we're going to get started. But before we get started, I want to let you know a little bit more about Amanda. Amanda Blackwood is an accomplished artist, author, public speaker, poet, podcast host, trauma recovery mentor, and a survivor of human trafficking. Amanda has spoken on multiple stages, international summits, radio programs, and has published over a dozen books. A portion of every book sale goes to help fight human trafficking. And Amanda lives in Denver, Colorado with her rescue cats and her supportive husband who keeps her sane. So thank you for being a part of the podcast today, Amanda. How are you? Oh, I am having such a wonderful day and thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm just so glad to have you today. So just share with the listeners a little bit more about yourself that I did mention. So um, as well as the amazing husband and rescue cats out here, um, I have an adopted family these days that I absolutely love. And I I always want to kind of uh, include them wherever I can. My sister, I call her, is the most amazing, incredible person that I think I've ever met. She's (laughs) one of the strongest people ever. But she's the one who really encourages me to keep going, even when I think there's a possibility that what I'm doing isn't reaching people. What I really want to do more than anything is just reach people and help with I can. Great. That is awesome. Well, you know, today um, we're talking about human trafficking, and this is such a big um, issue that is going on today. There's a lot of myths about human trafficking. There's a lot we don't know. And I think the best way to know is to be educated on the subject. And just starting off, let us know some of the most popular myths about human trafficking. Well, probably the biggest one is that it's so often confused with other forms of crimes. I mean, if you take, for example, something as simple as the definition, if you were to Google it, you would get a incorrect definition. And so I'll explain what I mean by that. So Google and Wikipedia, these are all fallible resources. I would suggest that people go to a place like the Department of Homeland Security to get their definition of what human trafficking actually is. And according to them, they define human trafficking as the use of force, fraud, or coercion to obtain labor or commercial sex acts from another person. So if you notice, there's no mention of transportation, even though in our brains we correlate trafficking with being in traffic. There's no mention of age, which means it doesn't only happen to underage children. Mm -hmm. And there's no mention of money. It says commercial sex acts. It does not say money. 
So prostitution does not equal trafficking. Trafficking does not equal prostitution. And with that first comment about trafficking, trafficking and traffic and what those mean, human smuggling and human trafficking are not the same thing. Mm. They are both separate issues that both desperately need to be addressed, but one does not automatically equal the other. A lot of people can be trafficked straight from their own homes without ever walking out of the door. Wow. Wow, Amanda. And, you know, um, you know, I would think when you said that I was thinking about human smuggling and human trafficking, that's interesting because a lot of people associate the two as the same. Absolutely. Most people do. And in fact, I did. It wasn't until I was out and free for seven years when I was sitting at in a human trafficking conference when I discovered what human trafficking actually was. That's when I started to understand that what I went through actually had a name. Mm-hmm. So what are the most popular forms of human trafficking in the U.S.? Well, the ones that we talk about the most would be sex trafficking, of course. But what a lot of people don't realize is that only makes up 14% of all human trafficking. Wow. 14%? (laughs) 14%. Most human trafficking is actually labor trafficking. So that's where you Mm -hmm. have people coming in and working in farms or working in nail salons or hair salons who then have to take whatever money that they are earning and give it to the person who has what's called a debt bondage over them. Mm. So only 14%, but you know, you see and hear most of it, you know, you would think that it would be sex trafficking as the most popular form of human trafficking. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, and when we're talking worldwide numbers, we also have to understand that in a lot of, uh, of the nations of the African continent, there is a major problem with child exploitation through the form of child soldiers. So this is also going to feed into this percentage, too. A lot of the issue that we're seeing over there is that these kids are being taken away from their homes at very young ages and turned into these soldiers, and they don't have a choice. Their families don't have a choice. If they fight back, somebody is killed. Um, they're murdered. They're tortured. It's it's a horrible life when somebody gets sucked into this uh, dynamic of what human trafficking actually looks like. But it's so important to recognize that while a lot of people think that it only happens in some place like third world countries, it happens in every single country across the entire world. And not every country has laws against it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was trying to think of one of the countries and I can't think of it right now, but actually with um where, where they have free prostitution. And a lot of those where they say it's not actually really free, um, but a lot of young women are um, trafficked. But they'll say that it's because this country is free of it. They say that it's free, but it's not really um, that they have the freedom of choice. I watched the interview about how a lot of those women say really they were not free to, of their choice. They were actually trafficked in. So um, that's just something interesting I thought about when you said that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and and I'm constantly reminded of the people who say that um, prostitution is uh, empowerment. It's really mm-hmm. not. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. of the people who are um, sex workers by choice this is maybe five percent of all prostitution across the world of the people of that five percent so few people actually feel like it's empowerment 
they might in the moment, but later on they realize that the reason that they've done this is because they feel like they didn't have any other options. This was the only option available to them to be able to feed themselves and to feed their children. They couldn't find a job that paid them enough. They weren't educated enough to find a job that paid enough. They would have done anything else if they'd had the choice to make that same money doing anything else on the planet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, listeners, you know, I chose Amanda to be able to come on the show because she has a wealth of knowledge about that, uh, this information, not only just from statistics, but by her experiences. And so would you mind sharing with us, Amanda, your experience with human as a human traffic survivor and what helped you to heal? Absolutely. So I was trafficked three different times in my life. What a lot of people don't realize is that the average number of times for somebody to be taken into trafficking is actually seven. So the fact that it only happened to me three times is a bit of a miracle. (laughs) Wow. And that's because most of us grow up in these abusive homes, these abusive Mm -hmm. households, and we are conditioned to think that this is a normal thing. When this happens, we start seeking out these dysfunctional relationships because this is what's normal. This is what's comfortable to us. No matter how uncomfortable it actually is in the moment, mentally, physically, this is what we're drawn to because it's long-term comfortable for us. Those predators spot this. So the earliest memory I can remember of any kind of abuse is when I was four. It happened very young. Um, I I had somebody molest me. Mm-hmm. It happened again and again throughout my teen, preteen years. I was raped by the time I was 17 by somebody I thought was my best friend. So by the time I was 18, I was constantly looking for love and acceptance wherever I could find it. And most of the time, this was in an extremely unhealthy relationship. The man who first trafficked me was more than twice my age. I was living with him at the time and he exploited me because he knew that I was dependent upon him. Mm-hmm. He gave me food and shelter. Uh, he gave me affection, what I thought was love. But I had been so conditioned to have a skewed perspective of love that I really didn't know what it was. So I accepted what he was offering. And he, let's say, loaned me out to a buddy of his for a birthday party weekend in Las Vegas. I knew what was going on was evil and wrong and this shouldn't be happening and I'm scared and I want out of here and this is abusive. I did not know that what was happening to me was actually classified as human trafficking because I didn't understand the definition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was forced to go with him. I was coerced into doing things that I never wanted to do uh, by threat of not being able to go back home. Mm-hmm. So if I'd left that hotel room in Las Vegas, I would not have gotten my ID back because this man had my ID to be able to get me on and off of the plane. I would not have been able to get back into the room. The police wouldn't have believed me from what I was what I was taught to believe the whole time I was growing up because the police never believed me when I tried to report any of the abuse that was happening when I was a kid. I was constantly dragged back home, just put into foster care and taken back out and sent back home. I didn't trust the police. So there was really nothing that I could do except tolerate what was happening for 52 hours. And I had this this dangerous mentality, this dangerous mindset that we tell ourselves and that we tell other people we need to stop doing this. But I told myself, I've been through worse. I'll get through this too. In reality, if I had not thought those words, 
I would have been more inclined to go get help. Mm -hmm. So once I got back, of course, I left. I, I was living in Arizona at the time and I went to, eventually I went all the way out to Florida. It was as far from Arizona as I could get without having a passport. And I went to Florida to go and stay with my dad's mother, my grandmother, so that I could get surgery done on my knee. I had injured myself on the job. When I got there, I was standing in the bus station at 1030 at night in Daytona Beach and called my grandmother to come and pick me up. Her husband, my dad's stepfather, answered the phone and said, we're not coming to get you. You're on your own. Good luck. Mm. I was homeless. 1030 mm. at night, I had $5 to my name. Mm. And it took me years to realize that the reason that happened was because since I was a teenage runaway, my parents had contacted them and said, she's running away from her problems again. And if you take her in, we'll never speak to you again. Wow. So this young couple came and found me there and said, you know, we've got a place for you to stay. You can come and stay with us until you land on your feet. What they really meant to say was we've got a place where you could stay. You can come and stay with us until we find the highest bidder. Cause that's right. Right. Yeah. So they sold me to some guy named Esteban, but I was a child of the eighties and I grew up watching all these wonderful TV shows, namely MacGyver. <laughs> <laughs> that man could fix anything with a paperclip and a rubber band. And I grew up <laughs> watching this miracle worker on TV and he was my idol. I was convinced when I was 10 that I was going to grow up to marry this man. I kind of did. I married a, a brilliant man who has the mind of an engineer. <laughs> so, <laughs> and he's, he's about as cute as Richard Dean Anderson was back in the day. So, <laughs> so there's that. <laughs> so, I MacGyvered my way out of this small room. I had been there for 23 and a half hours with no food, no water, no bathroom facilities. And when I got out, this man was hot on my heels, chasing me down. The first person I saw was a cop and I tried to flag her down. She rolled down her window and I started trying to tell her what had happened. And I'm very animated when I'm talking. And I know you can't see me right now, but I promise you my hands are two feet away from my face. <laughs> they are everywhere. <laughs> I was doing this in front of this police officer trying to tell her what was happening and where I just come from. And there were other people that he had locked up in the same place, but I couldn't get to them because they were in separate rooms. And she looked at me like I was insane. And I know she didn't believe me. And again, I still had this distrust for the cops. Mm -hmm. So I was giving up on telling her. And just as I was getting ready to leave her and run off and try to get away, this guy showed up in his car and he saw me talking to a cop and he did an illegal U-turn and that she took notice of. Uh -huh. And she went after him then. She wasn't uh -huh. going to go after uh -huh. him before that. <laughs> right. <laughs> I never followed up to see if they got anybody else out of there or whatever happened to him. I left. I ran away. I really was running from my problems and I was terrified. Uh-huh. Eventually, I made my way all the way out to California, you know, from one side of the country to the other, because, again, this is as far as you can get away from Florida without having a passport. Mm -hmm. I was out there for a number of years and over a period of seven years, I got to know this one particular man who happened to be a police officer. Uh, but he was a good guy. He was funny and smart and tall and handsome. And his little girl was just absolutely gorgeous. 
I watched her grow up in photos and videos, and I got to know this guy over these, these years. Eventually, I went over to go and visit him. He came over to visit me. He lived in Scotland, and it's so beautiful over there. I went over in the summertime, and it was just stunning. And I fell in love with the country, fell in love with the man. And he asked me to get a fiance visa and move to Scotland to be with him. It took him seven years to get to that point. It took him seven days to start trafficking me. <sighs> so this man exploited me from the confines of his own home repeatedly. And by repeatedly, I mean five, six, seven days a week. Sometimes it was two to five times a day. Wow. If I didn't do what was being asked of me, I was subjected to something called sport torture. So I had food deprivation. I had sleep deprivation for up to eight and a half days. Um, I was waterboarded. And that's just a small mention of the things that I had to undergo. To this day, I cannot have water splashed in my face. I can't go to a public swimming pool if there's kids in the water because I'm terrified that somebody might splash me in the face and I'll have an outburst. I tried to get away pretty early. Uh, I, he had taken away my passport and debit card and all that stuff. And one night while the abuse was happening, I fell back on old habits that I had as a waitress, where it was really important that your customer never see the bottom of their coffee cup when they're having coffee with their breakfast. I did the same thing with his whiskey cup. I got that man so drunk that night. <laughs> By the end of the night, he had no idea if he was coming or going. I had to tuck him <laughs> into bed. <laughs> and then I conned him into giving me back my passport and my debit card. And I told him the reason I needed this stuff was so I could go to the bank and pull out my money. But really, the next next day, what I did instead was jump on a computer and buy myself the first flight out that I could afford. <laughs> the very first flight out was something like $12,000. I had a little over $2,000 in my bank account, so I couldn't do that. The next day was still too expensive. The next day was still too expensive. I was going to have to wait five days going through this repeated torture, literal torture, to be able to get out of there <sighs> because that was the first ticket out that I could afford. But I fell back on that same dangerous mindset that we have to stop telling ourselves as women, as survivors of any kind of trauma. I've been through worse. I can get through this too <sighs> because I nearly didn't. And I lied to myself. I had never been through anything this bad. I had never been through anything worse. During that five days, the abuse continued and it was so bad that I ended up with a kidney infection and was in the hospital when that flight took off. And oh, it was a no. non-refundable flight. No. At one point, a couple months after that, I was exhausted mentally, emotionally. I just couldn't take it anymore. So I tried to take my own life. And hey, if you're going to fail at something, at least it's this, right? Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I was not <laughs> able to take my own life. I failed miserably when a little boy stepped out onto the train platform. He was about four. And he looked at me and that's all he did. He didn't say a word. He just looked at me. But the way he looked at me, he looked through me and he saw me. It was the first time anybody had seen me It's so long and it scared me because when he looked at me like that, I knew that he, he saw me enough to know me 
And I didn't even know who I was anymore. And it took me a little while to realize that I was actually not running toward the train as had been my plan at that moment, but rather walk running back towards my prison because I knew that if I was going to be kept alive, there had to be some reason. And that little boy was sent to me as a miracle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I could not do to him what had been done to me. I lost my innocence at four years old. If I did what I had planned on doing that day, I'd have been doing the same to this child. Mm-hmm. So I started at that point leaving a breadcrumb trail for this guy to believe that I truly was madly in love with him and I'd do anything for him. And I had developed what we used to call Stockholm syndrome. We now call trauma bonding that I was so bonded to him that I would do literally anything. I stopped complaining. I stopped whining. If I wasn't getting fed, I wouldn't say a word. I would just shut down and not talk about it, but smile instead. And he started to believe it. And after a couple of months, I finally lined it out for him. I told him, you know, my visa was fiance visa. And the day that we had picked out, told them that we were going to get married, that day's already come and gone. And if I overstayed my visa, the UK could kick me out and never allow me back according to UK law. I'd never be able to come back for a visit, to tour, nothing. And you could lose your job as a police officer. So what I propose is this. If you send me back to California now, I can go and stay with friends and sleep on couches and get a job and take care of myself for a few months. And when six months has passed, I can come back. And if we act quickly enough, I can come back in time for Christmas and it would be our first Christmas together. And wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? And he bought it. (laughs) Within two hours, this man had bought me a round trip flight to get back to California and return in time for Christmas. I left there on June 19th of 2011. I was 31 years old. 31 years old the last Mm -hmm. time I was trafficked. Wow. And I got back to California and I thought it was over. But he hunted me for Mm. years. Mm. He had taken a bunch of photos and videos of me uh, while I was in these compromising positions being raped or molested by total strangers. He included all of these photos and videos when he was sending them to my boss uh, after he found out I had gotten a job and I lost the job. And he was sending it to friends if he knew who my friends were. And I started losing friends too. He was still isolating me. Eventually, I left California completely. In 2016, I packed up and I moved to Colorado to try and start over. And I knew it would be more difficult to find me that way. I got all the way out here and I started finding myself getting settled. And in 2019 is when I discovered that he had made me famous on a pornography website. Since he couldn't attack me personally anymore, he was attacking me publicly and wildly. He was making money off of these videos. He was still trafficking me. He was still getting money from what he did to me. So I reached out to an anti-trafficking organization out here and they immediately paired me up with pro bono legal services to help fight these pornography pages. And I reached out to another because every single time one item came down from a pornography page, 
two more women. Another. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was fighting an uphill battle. So the other organization paired me up with a therapist. And I swear to you, I traumatized this poor woman so much that she's left <laughs> the industry. She's <laughs> done with therapy. <laughs> so they paired me up with another therapist who had already worked with survivors of trafficking. So she at least knew kind of what to expect. And we started working right away. And I told her right off the bat, number one, do not come at me right off the bat with prescription medication. I'm not looking for a Band-Aid. I need a shovel. And number two, don't tiptoe around me. Don't treat me like I am some fragile porcelain doll, because if I was going to break, I'd have done it already. Mm-hmm. So let's get busy. And a year and a half later is when I wrote my full autobiography. And the month after that is when I started painting. And two worlds collided in June of 2021, which was my 10-year anniversary of freedom from trafficking. The same month that my book was released was the same month that the Chicago Tribune wrote an article about a piece of artwork that I had painted for a home for human trafficking survivors in Chicago. My life has never looked back. A month after that was when I met my husband. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. That is an amazing story. And I know that it'll help a lot of people. But, you know, something that even you were talking about in the midst of that, Amanda, was that you were 31 years old um, when you that was your last trafficking. And so clearly age is not a factor um, within uh, human trafficking. And I think that's important for the listeners to know. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So one of the oldest people here in the state of Colorado in recent years to be pulled out of trafficking was actually in her 70s. Oh, wow. Yeah. This number always shocks people and people are like, you know, how is this possible? How do you, how do you do this to somebody who's of this age? Because the average lifespan of somebody in trafficking is actually seven years. At the end of that, you're usually dead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Murder and suicide rates are astronomically high among victims of trafficking. But how do you traffic somebody who's in their 70s? 70s, Yes. Well, if you go back to the definition, the use of force, fraud, or coercion to obtain labor or sex acts from another person, it doesn't say that this is sex trafficking. She was a labor trafficking victim. Hmm. She was being forced to work in a household where she was a live-in maid, forced to live in the squalor of basically the laundry room. She was not given proper food. Uh, She got the scraps. She did not earn any money. She had to stay there because she had no way of being able to um, support herself otherwise. And the, the trick here was that they did this by having this be a judge who was keeping her in his household under threat of having her deported. If she didn't do everything that he said she should do. Mm, 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 mm. Wow. So that that just changes the dynamics and the way we view um, the age of victims who are trafficked. Um, And so we all need to be aware um, that it is possible and that it is even happening in more than we realize. You know, one thing, Amanda, um, even with having survived human trafficking, um, Congratulations on being married. 
And I was going to ask you that question. Is it possible to have a healthy relationship and you're now in a marriage? Is that possible? And what made that happen? I didn't know it was possible until I met him. Um, and that might sound a little odd because I was still looking for a relationship. I was still looking for some way to feel like I could have some kind of a, a semblance of a normal life, but I didn't know if it was possible. I was just willing to try. And that's probably the biggest piece of it is wanting and being willing to try still, even after everything. The big uh, help for me was definitely going through the therapy and talking mm -hmm. to the therapist, but also writing and painting. You know, we crave, especially as trauma survivors, we crave some sense of control over our environment. We have to understand, though, that even though we might control the car that we're driving, we can't control the other drivers and we can't control how many potholes are in the road. <laughs> There's very little in our lives that we can actually control, maybe 10%. Mm -hmm. But when we're writing, when we're painting, we are controlling what is coming out of our hands. Another key thing for me was cooking. One, my most recent book was actually uh, just published in June. It's called Surviving in the Kitchen, Recipes for Life, Love, and a Full Stomach. It's a cookbook. And it's all these recipes and stuff that I was coming up with as part of recovery. We have to find some kind of a creative outlet, some kind of an environment where we have control over what happens to be able to have this creative outlet. And this is an ongoing thing. PTSD doesn't just go away. We just don't wave of some magic wand and suddenly just get over it. That's not how it works. It will be with me for the rest of my life. I will always always struggle with this. But having this open communication, having this book that my husband could read before we ever got engaged, it helped him to understand who I was and what I was coming from so that he could avoid the standard triggers. He could focus on me and who I am now without having to focus on my past. And he learned the survival strategies of helping me to get through it all. Mm. That's amazing. That was massive. <laughs> yes. Wow. Wow. And you know, Amanda, there may be someone that's listening today um, who's concerned for their children or even concerned for themselves about being victims of human trafficking, or perhaps maybe who knows that somebody may be even trafficked now and we're able to listen to this episode. Um, would you um, just give them a word of encouragement and a prayer of protection for them at this time? One of the biggest things that I've learned is that if you don't know what resources are available to you, it's the same as not having those resources. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, we live in the world of the internet these days. And if you're listening to a podcast, you have technology at your fingertips. Use that technology to find services and resources available to you to help you through whatever your situation might be. If you're going through trafficking, there are anti-trafficking organizations in every single state across the U.S. There's also the National Human Trafficking Hotline. You can reach out to them 24 hours a day. They have people available to help you. There's also 988. Instead of dialing 911, dial 988. You're paired up with a clinical psychologist and oftentimes somebody with lived experience who can help you to get through what it is that you're going through. If you haven't heard of the service, do your own research if you need to. They are amazing and fantastic. And they, can, they can and they want to help you. That's the whole reason these things exist. It's the same thing with domestic violence. There are mm -hmm. women's shelters everywhere across the world. 
they want to help you. It is not a weakness to reach out for help and to ask for help. It is a strength. And that's why it's so hard to do. Wow. So listeners, if you're listening out there, make sure um, that you reach out and like the number she said, 988. And Amanda's going to give us her information as well so that you're able to contact her. Would you let the listeners know the best way they may contact you? Probably the easiest way is through my website, growthfromdarkness.com. There's a contact form there or through Facebook. If you just look on Facebook for Amanda Blackwood, the survivor, I'm all over the place and probably on Facebook a little bit too often on this site. <laughs> well, we thank you so much, Amanda, for being a part and just sharing your story. I know that your story will educate a lot of people. Even when I was listening myself, it was just very helpful in educating me as well and learning new information about human trafficking so that it, when we come in contact this with this, we will have the resources in order to combat this or to be able to support a victim. Uh, that has been traffic. And so I encourage you listeners uh, to go to her website, find her on Facebook and to find out better resources in order to help us to support those that may have been trafficked or just to be knowledgeable and aware of what we need to know. And so I thank you so much again, Amanda, for being a part of the episode today. Thank you so much for having me and for wanting to get involved with this fight. It means so much to all of us. Yes, thank you so much. And listeners, uh, next time on the episode, we look forward to having you. And until next time, God bless. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Tasty Tidbits with Dr. Tiffany Watkins. If you're enjoying the show, feel free to subscribe, rate, and share with your friends. To learn more about Dr. Tiffany, check out her blog on goodreads.com or visit her website at www.renewedfaithministriesinc.com. Until next time, stay blessed.